Adeyemi into the area, rounds the goalkeeper, empty net! A one-man counterattack that draws first blood. This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 441 of the Yellow Airpods. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund beating Chelsea in the Champions League, and we will preview Sunday's game against Hertha Berlin after a brief recap of the Bremen game. That means seven wins in a row, and for all that and more, joins me last time. Hello, Lars. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Um, it's... Uh, it's nice to be on this wave of W's, and uh, I can't wait to talk about it. But beforehand, we do have a sponsor for this episode. Wir sind komplett schuldenfrei. Wir zahlen keinen einzigen Euro an Zinsen. And this episode is sponsored by Official League. They make caps, hats, lids, whatever you want to call it, and they have just released their latest Borussia Dortmund collection after partnering with the club. And we are giving away a hat. So if you want to win your hat, you have to go to our Twitter page at yellowwallpot and respond to our pin tweet with code word Schmelzer. Again, code word Schmelzer. <laughs> and follow at Official League on Twitter, which is, of course, also tagged in that tweet. And uh, the winner will be announced on the next episode. And uh, yeah, go check them out. Uh, their website is officialleague.co. And uh, yeah, the hats are... Really quite nice, and if you're a hat person, uh, don't hesitate. I'm seeing a lot of giveaways from Official League, by the way. I think a lot of uh, uh, American-based fan clubs are doing those as well. So um, if you really want a hat, I think your chances are quite high that you get one. But um, yeah, just uh, add the code word Schmelzer to this tweet, uh, reply to it, or I don't know. If you, if you add Schmelle or Goat, I will also count it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, with that, we can move on to the Champions League and uh, that of course started with a beautiful choreo um, where Borussia Dortmund uh, yeah, did uh, or the fans rather the yellow wall did uh, say that it's worth it to travel around with the club but of course uh, this was a home match and uh, it was a very feisty game Lars uh, of course one nothing win in the end but uh, what are your thoughts overall and then we I think we can talk a little bit more in depth about the game I mean it's always difficult to just have general thoughts fine uh, if if <laughs> even uh, or especially when you preface it with uh, our having a uh, or in an in-depth discussion later on but I would say just generally speaking I think that was quite fortunate for Dortmund to win this game. I think certainly a one-all draw, uh, nothing to be angry with uh, after those 95 or so minutes. Uh, I think Chelsea could have won the, the game as well. Uh, if, for example, they had spent, let's say, 40 of their 650 million this year on a decent striker, maybe they would have won the game because there were a number of chances, especially for Joao Felix, uh, that a competent number nine uh, would have put away. Uh, not necessarily saying that 
Aubameyang would have, but he's kind of still there at Chelsea, but wasn't. I mean, it would the be the curse League. of the X, and he knows how to chip a ball, so just saying. Yeah, uh, but I guess that's the the price you pay for moving to a club like Chelsea. Um, yeah, I mean, for Dortmund, obviously, one will win quite a decent result in the first leg, but uh, I would be very surprised if the same level of performance would be enough uh, to make the quarterfinals uh, at Stanford Bridge. So, uh, luckily enough, there's a lot of room for improvement in terms of the performance. And whenever you win, despite not playing particularly well, I think that's a pretty good feeling, especially as you uh, alluded to earlier, uh, seven wins in a row, riding a certain wave of, of uh, victories. Um, it, it's nice to add to that when you don't even play that well. Yeah, I must say I was a little bit surprised to see Sebastian Alias starting after he also played around, what was it, 60-ish minutes against Bremen. I thought oh, maybe uh, he'll come off the bench, but uh, with Mokoko being out, I also feel like uh, Tessic maybe didn't feel like starting Modest. Um, uh, but other than that, I think having Ashan Bellingham and uh, Emre Can in, in midfield was not a big surprise. Uh, Rafael Guerrero and uh, Marius Wolf, who returned from injury, uh, being the fullbacks, and then you had uh, Schlotterbeck and Zule, of course, uh, in central defense. And of course, I should not omit uh, Julian Brandt and Karim Adiemi. And I want to say this: I thought the first half, um, I think the first ten minutes or so, were just very choppy. Choppy. But other than that, uh, I thought Dortmund were quite in control of the game. But that being said, they did allow a few very promising counterattacking chances and uh, especially in the beginning Nico Schlotterbeck had to intervene with a really nice sliding tackle on uh, Mudrik so <laughs> um, yeah you could feel from the very beginning I found that uh, Chelsea do have a lot of quality and a lot of individual quality and they were sort of oozing it uh, very early on but uh, I also thought that Dortmund um, did very well in midfield, in ball progression, uh, maybe not really creating the final pass or the big chances, but there were certain moments of, say, Jude Bellingham or Julian Brandt and so on, and of course Marius Wolf, where they just, you know, glided through midfield and beat opponents 1v1 and, uh, yeah, came into promising spaces. So, to me, this setup, um, yeah... I think worked quite well in the first half. Obviously, you already mentioned that the overall performance wasn't best, but um, I think from the post-game interviews that I've seen, be it Emre Can, Jude Bellingham, also Eden Tessic, um, I think all admitted as much that uh, they were a, a bit lucky here and there, but uh, I still think there are positives to glean away from because Dortmund did uh, <laughs> play some attractive football, uh, obviously, uh, every now and then in this game and had some okay ball retention, some okay ball circulation and uh, played with a, a speed that also did challenge Chelsea and put them on the back foot for quite a bit. So I thought from that standpoint, there are some positives to glean away from. Um, but um, yeah, <laughs> when I said in depth, I don't know um, how in depth I want to go because uh, <laughs> yeah... I mean, it's, it's a Champions League game. It's very special. The atmosphere was crazy. Um, but again, it wasn't uh, like a big tactical chess match or any of that. I I found uh, I don't know if you have any uh, super detailed observations you want to share. Be my guest, but uh, from the top of my head, I don't really have that much to offer. If I'm 
if I'm honest. Uh, no, <laughs> I think uh, the 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 interesting part to me anyway was, uh, as you said, Chelsea, a lot of attacking quality. But as I said, not anyone to finish those uh, chances. Um, and from Dortmund's perspective, I think uh, definitely commendable in terms of uh, the the spirit of defending as a unit and, and all that stuff, uh, which is kind of hard to talk about because, okay, we now mention it and there's not much to analyze, but still something to uh, be praised. Um, and maybe in terms of individual performances, I think it was quite telling that uh, Chelsea's 120 million euro man, Enzo Fernandes, who's uh, an incredible player, had a great World Cup for Argentina and all that stuff, has been brilliant for Benfica uh, in the first half of the season. Uh, he looked kind of lost uh, facing what I would assume is right now the perhaps the best German outfield player in Julian Brandt. Yeah. Um, and he was also uh, kind of shown up a bit by uh, Bellingham, who... I would say overall had a bit of a quieter game, uh, and in and even in in the few duels uh, Enzo had with uh, Jan or Özcan, uh, I don't think you necessarily saw someone who uh, or whom a club just paid 120 million euros for. So uh, obviously there's always two sides to that matter. So I would assume that uh, Enzo did, just didn't have a great uh, day at the office. He's obviously still very new at Chelsea. Um, a lot of expectations on his uh, young shoulders and all that, but also, uh, you know, Dortmund and especially the the players mentioned earlier uh, did a good job in, you know, uh, putting stress on on uh, Fernandez and and showing the few weaknesses he does have in his game, and not least of which, obviously, the goal, which I guess we'll come to later, but. Uh, even uh, if, uh, you know, Chelsea's uh, set-piece defense wasn't as terrible as it was um, for Dortmund's goal and the, the game possibly ends in a goalless draw or whatever, I think the the takeaway is still that Dortmund's midfield kind of dominated the game in a way which you don't necessarily uh, think about when you look at stats after the game because obviously Chelsea had more of the, or, or more dangerous situations, uh, had more shots, had more goal-scoring opportunities, as it were. But I still think that uh, on the balance of the 90-odd uh, minutes, uh, most people would agree that Dortmund's midfielders had a better game than, than Chelsea's. Yeah, I do agree, actually. And uh, that is actually a good news for Dortmund because I would say that, as, as you mentioned, Jude Bellingham... I think he's just overplayed right now. He needs a bit of a breather, if we're honest. And same with, uh, um, I don't want to say Emre Can and, and Ushan, but obviously they are not uh, <laughs> the most skilled players in the footballing department. But uh, I thought they did fairly well. What I did like um, is that when uh, Chelsea sort of um, closed down uh, Zule and, and Schlotterbeck uh, in, in the build-up, that it was either um, Bellingham or Brandt often dropping back a little uh, to to be the open man and uh, from that perspective on um, they managed to just turn around with the ball and uh, oftentimes find Wolf pretty open on the right side and then combine on that right side into the half spaces. I thought we've seen this uh, quite a lot um, but as you said what uh, really did surprise me is how um, well Dortmund played uh, or how, how well Dortmund kept it together considering 
some individual performance weren't quite on the level as they've previously been, I think, most prominently Jude Bellingham, because we all know he can play much better and much more dominant. Um, but, uh, yeah, in, in that case, um, you can also just, I think, say that it's quite or fairly normal that uh, maybe things for Chelsea aren't clicking right away. I think they just need time. There's no amount of money. Um that can make up for uh, such a thing, especially when you talk about central midfielders. Um, so from that perspective, I was just quite happy also that uh, the Amgjan working as an anchor, um, I, I think, is is really proving itself to be quite useful now because uh, in, in several phases of the build-up, which in the first half of the season was a much greater issue, um, Amgjan is also versatile enough to drop in, in between the centre-backs or be a little higher up. Um, depending on what he needs to do. And I think uh, it really helps Dortmund out to progress the ball from their first line into, into midfield and beyond. And uh, that, to me, is a bit of the uh, ball game right now for Dortmund. And the more they are able to have a clean and structured build-up, the, the better they get. And this is actually one of the things that I do see improving from game to game a little bit. I mean, Chelsea was maybe not the best example, but I did like... It's against Bremen as well, even though we will talk about it in a minute. <laughs> oh, it's not the most glorious performance, but um, I do think there are a, a certain observations that you can uh, take away um, that are certainly trending in the right direction. And uh, of course, um, once again, I think Julian Brandt being in the form that he is in is just so valuable because he right now makes very few mistakes. Um, there was one giveaway that I remember that uh, almost could have cost Dortmund but other than that um, I thought he had a lot of composure and did put a lot of pressure on, on Chelsea and I'm very much looking forward um, to him in, in the reverse fixture uh, playing um, yeah also maybe a bit more on the counter-attacking side but uh, I feel like he right now is also an absolute key player especially when Jude Bellingham isn't playing his best um, but um, apart from that you know, I've, I must say, I'm also quite impressed with Marius Wolf, um, and uh, how he is finding, uh, you know, other players in the half spaces. That gives me some Lucas Pischek vibes, if I'm honest. But uh, he can also play across if necessary. Um, and uh, yeah, the other thing I just want to mention real quick is that you could see that Sebastian Allaire is also a little bit tired, and. Uh, I think with that you can sort of infer how much of a beast he's going to be if he's in, in peak physical condition. I mean, obviously you struggle against uh, physically dominant defenders like Koulibaly or uh, Thiago Silva, but nevertheless I thought uh, given that he also looks a little bit gassed overall, uh, did a fairly good job, and especially if you compare it to the I don't know how many minutes it was in the end, um, run out of uh, Anthony Modest, I think it was like 22-23 minutes. Um, yeah, we did not get much from Anthony Modest other than a few uh, clearances out of the box during set pieces. But um, Lars, I think it's time to talk about the goal and Karim Adiemi. And uh, I think I've talked enough, so that's your job now. <laughs> Once again, not necessarily sure how much we can talk about this because uh, while it was... I would say the most iconic Dortmund Champions League goal since uh, Philippe Santana, who was clearly not offside against Malaga. <laughs> um, I mean, it was a, a 50 or 60 meter run. Uh, 
a nice curve of the goalkeeper and a tidy enough finish. Um, but I mean, the I hate to do this, but the the obvious thing to talk about wouldn't be uh, how great Adeyemi did, but how terribly uh, Chelsea defended that because. Uh, if you do a bit of uh, opponent scouting ahead of a Champions League match, which I assume Chelsea have enough people in their employ to do that, uh, they will know that Karim Adeyemi is the fastest fastest player ever to have uh, been clocked in the Bundesliga. Uh, he's even faster than uh, Mudrik, who is the fastest Champions League player this season, um, by a tiny amount, but still. So uh, you know that... Uh, when you have a set piece, you kind of have to uh, have uh, what we call rest defense uh, or rest fatalio, rest defense in English uh, and uh, make sure that you are aware of uh, where the fastest player on the pitch is and they kind of weren't and was reasonably comical to watch uh, Enzo Fernandez try to uh, stick with Adeyemi and, and offer him perhaps the outside. And to be fair, Adeyemi did really well. Uh, a lot of touches with his weaker foot, which uh, is kind of one of the bigger strengths of uh, Adeyemi, which is uh, that he's not outside of shooting, I would say, which uh, his left is clearly better for, for shooting purposes. But other than that, he's pretty two-footed. Uh, yeah, but still, uh, there's no way a... Uh, Top-level team uh, that spends again 650 million in one year <laughs> um, can concede that kind of goal. Uh, it's if if I were Graham Potter, I would be much richer, but I would also be uh, very angry uh, at myself probably because I'm if I'm the head coach, that's my responsibility to uh, set them up not to concede that kind of goal, but also uh, even if. You allow that run, you can't allow that goal. So Enzo and also Kepa, uh, the goalkeeper, um, that was just not very good from Chelsea, but all the better for Dortmund. And still, I don't want to take anything away from Adeyemi, but I, I think you kind of have to uh, put it into context a bit more than perhaps people were doing uh, on the day. Yeah, I mean, it's a very enjoyable goal. As you said, it was iconic. Yes, I think I will remember this goal <laughs> For a very long time, and uh, I'm just thinking about the first touch that Adeyemi had, which I thought was uh, reasonably good, um, that uh, Rafael Guerrero cleared to, to take it down like this, so he definitely set him up for the second and third touch uh, that really put uh, Enzo Fernandes on the back foot, and um, yeah, the... Um journalists that were at the game that uh, had a better view because uh, watching on TV you see the goalkeeper obviously very late they said that uh, Kepa hesitated quite a lot and wasn't quite sure what to do and uh, sort of uh, yeah lost the ground he probably needed to close down Adeyemi quickly enough um, but yeah I'm just thinking about um, the future for Adeyemi because if you have this kind of pace you obviously will get more and more into 1v1 situations. We've seen it with uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and his development at Dortmund and uh, obviously um, what a revelation it was for him once he discovered the lob <laughs> over the keeper. I do wonder if uh, this is something we will see in the future more of Adeyemi that he will find um, these runs into the space in behind the back line and uh, Obviously, this was a counterattack, but uh, there were just so many situations where Dortmund uh, 
made the best out of Aubameyang's pace because he just had the timing and obviously this is something that comes with experience and uh, Adeyemi is still quite young. But um, yeah, just a very enjoyable moment and just very enjoyable goal unless of course you are Chelsea uh, reporters sitting on the press stand because apparently they were all showered in beer and they were not happy. But you know what? Uh, that's football. <laughs> it doesn't happen uh, out of experience. I can tell you in the press box that often that's uh, there is beer raining down on you. But I guess in that particular moment, it did happen. And uh, yeah, if you have a whole beer fall on your laptop or whatnot, I'm sure uh, <laughs> there are happier moments. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it happens. Um, other than that... Um, there was a little bit made out of um, the uh, fact that uh, neither Mats Hummels nor Marco Reus uh, were subbed in. Um, obviously, I personally <laughs> do not like the fact that Dortmund only used three of their substitutions instead of five. Um, but still, uh, I, I've seen Ruhnachrichten write something about it uh, that it was sort of a, a sign by Terzic. Um, is there anything to make out of this particular scenario or um, not? I mean, if uh, Dortmund hadn't won the game, I think the, the biggest uh, regret from, from Dortmund's perspective would have been using three sub-windows with singular substitutions, which is just not a very smart strategy this day and age. When you have the opportunity to make five subs, you take them. Because I could definitely tell uh, a couple of guys that were in need of uh, uh, rest or, you know, didn't have the freshest legs anymore. Um, that said, I'm not necessarily uh, annoyed with uh, Hummels and Reus not being subbed in because uh, Hummels being brought in would presumably have been for a tactical switch. And we've seen too often that bringing on an extra center back doesn't work for Dortmund. Uh, even going back to the Klopp days, I think there's somewhat of a curse on Dortmund in that regard. Um, and, and Reus, obviously, uh, same age, same age as me. So I know his, uh, problems in terms of foot speed. And obviously he's still coming uh, back to full fitness from an injury or illness plus injury, uh, at the start of the, uh, the, the calendar year. So. It made sense to me that those two didn't come on, but I don't know why you wouldn't bring on, let's say, Daniel Malen uh, just to make some runs. I mean, he might not be good for much else at, at this point, given by how little playing time he's receiving, but uh, he's still got uh, good speed and might have been able to offer some runs in relief of Dortmund's defense, which was solid and, and compact, but still, um, I just don't think it's smart to leave the opportunity of two extra subs uh, on the table. Obviously, it worked this time around, but I think, especially remembering um, the Chelsea, uh, the, the this Man City away game uh, in the group stage, I think they lost that game because they didn't bring on an extra runner in midfield. And I would have made the point that uh, Terzic didn't really learn from that because, uh, once again, he didn't bring on any extra fresh legs. So uh, I don't know if that's, you know, inexperience. I think that would be kind of uh, disingenuous if, if I made that point because, I mean, Terzic by now has, I think, almost 50 games as the, the head coach of Dortmund uh, in, across two spells. He's also been around... Uh, 
you know, pro football so long now. So it's not like he needs to learn how to make substitutions. I think he just made the call that uh, three subs was enough because he didn't want to change too much about the structure of the game. And fair enough, it worked. But I still think I would disagree with that uh, concept. Yeah, no, I think if you bring on Dahul, if you bring on maybe Marlon instead of uh, Modest up front and, uh, you know, add a Giorena just to, to regain some midfield dominance, especially in the, in the later stretches of that game, as you said, because Chelsea were really dominant, uh, Dortmund hardly managed to uh, take any pressure off. They just sort of, you know, just punted the ball away uh, for the next wave of attack and... Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I just thought uh, a few more fresh legs would have uh, helped. Uh, obviously, Marco Reus, uh, I think, would have helped too. I would have not really been happy with uh, Mats Hummels because he just lacks pace. I just, I don't know. I also don't don't really like to, to break up the, the, the center-back pairing in any shape or form at this point of the game. I feel like it, it leads to some... Un unstable minutes, let's say. I think we've seen it uh, against uh, in, against Bochum in the cup, um, where that happened as well. So uh, from that standpoint, um, yeah, it's it is what it is. But uh, I think Dortmund now have a pretty good um, you know result to go into uh, the second leg uh, at Stamford Bridge, and I do assume that uh, Marco Reus by then will. Um, be probably more in the starting eleven because he's probably further progressed uh, with his fitness. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll stick with the, the three midfield we have right now. But uh, I do assume that Dortmund will play more on the uh, counter attack a little bit. Um, Lars, if you want to preview that game uh, real quick, I mean, by the time Dortmund um, played Chelsea, they would have just come off a game against Leipzig. Uh, luckily for Dortmund, um, the Leipzig game is on Friday. Um, so they have an extra day of, of rest, if you will, even though they do play on, on Tuesday. But uh, yeah, the second leg is on uh, the 7th of March. And uh, I personally am looking forward to it. And I do wonder um, what um, the dynamic would be if Dortmund score another goal in at the Stamford Bridge. Because, I don't know, I think the Chelsea crowd is... It's not the greatest and uh, might uh, not really back that team as much as as need be. But um, obviously, you can also just see the, the quality that Chelsea do have. So, um, as you said, Dortmund will need a much, much better performance. But uh, any tweaks from this game that you would like to see in the second leg that would make you more optimistic about the progression to the quarterfinals? Um, I think it's kind of pointless to make the uh, to have that discussion on uh, or in the middle of February when the game is on March the seventh. I think it's pretty obvious that uh, Terzic has this uh, uh, defensive-minded plan for big away games uh, this season. So it's once again going to be Emil John dropping between the center halves. Uh, I do not see necessarily Royce starting because. It's going to be Bellingham and Özcan and Brandt, uh, fitness provided because they are a bit more uh, robust uh, off the ball, let's say. Uh, I, I think we are kind of kidding ourselves if we think of uh, the tie now being much in Dortmund's favor because, uh, once again, uh, all other things being equal, uh, Chelsea just having a bit better uh, shooting performance, they win the game at Dortmund. Uh, Obviously, there's no away rules rule anymore. 
Um, so the one nil isn't as valuable as it might have been a couple of years back. Um, I think Chelsea or, or playing Chelsea when they did was kind of the perfect point in time and it might not be the case for the second leg because uh, Chelsea have been very bad in front of goal. Uh, and as we all know, the finishing pixie usually turns things around at some point during a season. I don't necessarily think it's likely that uh, they will have that that underperformance of their uh, goal threat going forward to the end of the season. So if Dortmund once again allow this many opportunities, chances are uh, Chelsea will make better use of them. So once again, Dortmund need to be much better than they were in the first leg. But uh, I think there's also scope for that being the case because uh, as we now talked about uh, at length or in depth, as you would say, <laughs> uh, they there there was a lot of uh, room for improvement. Let's say, yeah. I mean the, the the one really good news for Dortmund is of course that they have Gregor Kobel in goal and he has been tremendous. But obviously he can't stop anything either. But uh, yeah, um, he he said himself that he didn't really have a real highlight save. I mean the um, goal line clearance from Emre Can, I thought it was still a fairly good save overall because he was already diving, he was sort of speculating, uh, diving to the right and uh, that shot went uh, far central and to then still get your arms to the ball while falling in the other direction. Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a goalkeeping expert so I don't really know if this is a good save or, uh, or more luck than anything else because it after all would have landed in the net if it weren't for Emre Can's intervention, but uh, just that did just enough uh, to allow a teammate have the chance um, to to make the clearance and obviously a huge push for the team to uh, not concede that goal. And uh, if we talk about the team spirit, maybe uh, having a player that uh, makes this sort of uh, clearance uh, is one of the many indicators for it, but uh, I think we, we can't end uh, <laughs> the Chelsea game discussion without talking about uh, Gregor Kobel and, of course, uh, Emre Can making this goal in clearance because that was uh, pretty cool too. And uh, I personally have been very harsh on Emre Can in the past, so it's it's just nice uh, for him to um, shine a little brighter these days and, um, yeah, really help uh, Dortmund out in many different ways. But... Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the Bundesliga um, because, uh, as I mentioned, seventh win in a row and that, of course, does include a 2-0 win away to Werder Bremen. Uh, Dortmund uh, did take quite a while to open the scoring. It was Jamie Bino-Gittens coming off the bench and I think it was pretty much his second or third touch. Um, uh, <laughs> a nice run, let's say. A nice dribble by uh, Nico Schlotterbeck uh, to sort of penetrate all the way to the box and then laid off to Jamie Bino Gittens who just, you know, hit it quite bangly and was just bang and was in there. You know, was no saving that from Pavlenka in the, in the short corner in, what, 67th minute and then uh, Julian Brandt after wasting a couple chances finally in the 84th minute with the dagger and was 2 nothing. and um, yeah... I don't know what else to say other than uh, was it the best performance again? No. Was it a deserved win? Absolutely. Did it feel like Bremen was going to mount another comeback as they did uh, in the reverse fixture? Not really, apart from that one Dux chance they had, which uh, they really created nicely. But um, I think overall, um, yeah, there are not too many 
too many negatives in, in, in that uh, particular game. I think the biggest negative is obviously that Leo Bittencourt, uh, yeah, <laughs> destroyed uh, Yusuf Amokoko's ankle and he will now be out for six-ish weeks. And uh, yeah, a apart from that, I'm... I'm fairly happy with that game. Uh, I mean, there you had uh, Marco Reus and uh, Drew Bellingham starting, and then uh, you had Gio Reyna and uh, Julian Brandt uh, more on the outside positions. I wasn't quite impressed with Gio Reyna. I thought he had an average, you know, game, but it's, you know, he has so little playing time, um, and obviously starting from the beginning is 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 a bit tougher than uh, coming in as a super sub. Uh, but Lars, if you have any thoughts on this game. Be my guest. If not, we can already move on to the Hertha match. Uh, not many thoughts. I think it was the kind of ho-hum uh, performance uh, good sides uh, should have against opposition that doesn't quite reach the heights of their maximal potential. Um, I think on the ball, fairly disappointing for the first 60-odd minutes. Um, got better in the second half. But kind of telling that the the goal to break the deadlock uh, and kind of decided the game almost because Bremen didn't really have an answer after the the Bino Gittens goal, uh, telling that it came off uh, what in German is called Andrebön. So um, the center back, as you explained earlier, uh, just moving forward on the ball because nobody's really attacking him and Schlotterbeck. Uh, dragged that to the extreme with uh, him kind of being in in or close to the opponent's box, which usually isn't undribble territory anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not quite. And and uh, very very well taken goal by by Bino Gittens. Um, second touch of the game, I think, is correct. Uh, yeah, I mean the 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 super sub stuff. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily something that they can keep up over the the course of the entire season but then again uh the i think the first instance of Dortmund turning their games around with substitutions came against Freiburg that was match day uh 2 or 3 so um yeah i mean as i said uh, a ho-hum performance against a Bremen side that can play much better um nothing to go crazy over but uh, then again at the start of the season, the, the one thing I wanted was for Dortmund to have more of these kinds of games where, you know, it's not crazy drama. It's not uh, hugely exciting, perhaps, but just solid stability, a uh, bit of boringness. Um, it's it's what they need and obviously something to keep the, the winning run going, which is uh, important as well. Um, and I would almost say that it was one of the easier wins of uh, that winning run, uh, despite not playing well for the first 60 or so minutes. So I think that's kind of a general thought that that uh, I have certainly and others I presume would as well is, you know, they've won these seven games on the spin, but I'm not sure that they were, you know, much the better side and more than maybe two or three of those games. So uh, one could argue that's uh, a bit on a built on, on, on sand or whatever, but you could also make the case that uh, it's a sign of a very good team that they keep just getting these results out of, uh, you know, maybe 85% uh, performance levels in, instead of 
needing 100 to uh, win games and that should bode well for the rest of the season. I mean, on one hand, I think a seven-game win streak is rare for any team, even the, the best teams in the world. And on the other hand, uh, any seven-game win streak very rarely is composed of uh, absolute shellackings where you just steamroll every opponent with absolute dominance, uh, unless you're like peak Bayern or peak Barcelona. I don't think that happens quite a lot. Uh, we you know, also always have to respect that opponents <laughs> are competitive as well. And um, what is, I think, very encouraging, I tweeted after the Bremen games, um, at from the then six uh, wins, now seven, uh, four of those came on the road. And since uh, Dortmund's road form uh, this season and in the past has been particularly poor, I would say, compared to their home form, I think this is also something that's encouraging. But uh, of course, up next is a home match and it is on Sunday and it's the 5.30 game local time and uh, it is against uh, Hertha Berlin who um, yeah just did beat uh, Gladbach 4-1 to but are um, yeah in 16th place in the Bundesliga and uh, I think beforehand they had four straight losses against uh, Bochum, Wolfsburg, Union Berlin and Frankfurt so not the most you know, not the most easy schedule obviously and um, yeah the uh, 4-1 win against Gladbach I did watch it uh, was kind of Weird because I think Hertha looked kind of meh for the most part, and Nico Evidi did take the lead after 17 minutes. And uh, Gladbach looked fairly in control, and all of a sudden they uh, couldn't see the goal and uh, completely fall apart. And Hertha did take advantage um, by uh, yeah scoring uh, two goals basically uh, in the 30th and. 52nd minute and then I think having another two in, in stoppage time uh, garbage time if you will um, but um, yeah it was a weird game um, and Hertha do I don't know they're just a very weird team because if I always look at their at their um, team sheet I feel like they should be higher up in the table but when I um, watch their games I usually think they should be even <laughs> lower than they are um, because they are very much unimpressive and uh, obviously this is very much a must-win game for Dortmund um, because Hertha Berlin are just not that good even though they just won 4-1. Um, I don't think um, yeah, there is there's much of an argument there that uh, Dortmund uh, should not win this game. Um, obviously, uh, you know, you, you talk about the, the scoring pixie or whatever. Um, these... Free games can always happen, but um, yeah, from a Dortmund perspective, I would like to uh, see win number eight and to see it in a semi-controlled fashion. After all, it is a home match and after all, it is a Sunday game, so there is an extra day of rest for Dortmund after the Champions League tie. But uh, nevertheless, um, I also want to see some rotation. I do not know if I necessarily need to see Sebastian Allaire starting or... Uh, Jude Bellingham for that matter and I think there are a few other candidates um, where you can uh, rotate a little bit and um, yeah we have seen Terzic make changes to the starting 11 quite consistently throughout the seven game win run uh, Lars your thoughts on a potential lineup I actually don't think it's going to be too different from uh, Wednesday because there's a week off. Um, they are in the thick of things. They should be reasonably accustomed to playing midweek fixtures at this point of the season. Um, 
so I uh, I definitely think you kind of ride the wave as long as you can with uh, Brand and John. Um, so them two starting. Adeyemi had two games off with suspension, so he's going to start. I would agree uh, on Alea not starting, but if the alternative is Modest, um, I think that's kind of asking for trouble just because Modest seems very much out of out of things at this point. He's got the game winner in a reverse fixture. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> the, the, the one thing that, that maybe there's some uh, kitchen psychology, as we would say in Germany, uh, <laughs> to be had there. So maybe... Uh, Probably not. Terzic, Terzic tells Modest just do what you did. In, because, I mean, at that point of the season, when they just signed Modest and he had to play a lot of minutes because uh, Mukoko wasn't quite ready, uh, I think Modest did much better than he has since i don't know october or so um i mean he he does miss chances he does not have a good first touch and he's just not a player that uh, you know uh is legitimately good enough to play for borussia dortmund which you know fair enough they signed him uh in an emergency and i can kind of understand that there's uh, a few things you kind of have to accept when uh, coming with that but uh yeah i, I just think it's it's going to be Alea as long as he can. Uh, as I said, there's a week of rest. Possibly you can get him off after an hour again, uh, which shouldn't be too bad. Um, yeah, I mean, if I if I go through the entire thing, I think uh, Kobel. I want to say Meunier possibly, but then again, that would be uh, more rotation than I think. So it's probably going to be Riasson instead of Wolf because Wolf just came back from an injury. Um, Schotterberg, no reason to change anything outside of uh, placating Hummels, which I don't think is necessary at this point. Uh, Guerrero, Jan, since it's a home game, I think it might be Royce instead of Özcan. Uh, Brandt, Adeyemi, Aller, uh, let's say Reyna. Okay, yeah, I. I do wonder if uh, Daniel Malen will play as a number nine at some point. I think uh, Eden Tessic teased that today at the news conference. And, um, you know, Daniel Malen has not been in any good shape or form at all this season. But, I mean, maybe it's helpful for him to play as a number nine more centrally than to play on the wing. I'm not entirely sure. Um, obviously, be even more helpful if he could play off uh, someone like Alea uh, in a two-striker formation. But uh, if he has to play instead of Alea, um, I uh, I don't know. I'd rather go with him in a home game than with uh, Modest, if I'm honest, because at least he has some dynamism and can offer something. And uh, you know, I don't know why I naively thought that Anthony Modest would have a somewhat decent okay-ish, whatever you want to call it, uh, hold-up play. But uh, I think there are too many games that have proven that right now he just does not have and doesn't really help Dortmund with any, uh, you know, ball control and then laid off to a teammate sort of thing. Just not happening for whatever reason. And uh, Dortmund's crossing is just uh, not good enough to consistently find him in the box and it's also just not the playing side right now. Um, so I would actually argue more if you if you do not start Marlin, uh, do not start Alea, that you start Marlin than Modest. Even though I'm not the biggest Marlin fan either right now, but uh, I see a, a bit more upside in that scenario than with Modest if I'm uh, 
yeah entirely honest and uh, apart from that yeah i do hope that dortmund have uh good board circulation and that they do manage again to you know develop some set piece threat um as they did against freiburg because that worked quite neatly and um, yeah apart from that i do wonder um if uh dortmund are still as switched on as uh you know, they would be for a Champions League game because uh, we've seen it often enough that the focus uh, and the, the the speed of the game drops a little and that uh, sometimes bites Dortmund in the behind. But uh, yeah, if I have to give a prediction, I would still come... I don't know, I would, I'd go with a 3-1 or 4-1, something like that, because we must never forget uh, the bench, be it Girona, be it uh, Bino Gittens or so, is always a factor. And uh, if you're, I don't know... 2-1 up or something then it can always quickly escalate <laughs> in the in the final 20 minutes or so um and especially if you also have then you know say give alian late half hour instead of the first 60 minutes if you will um i think that also uh adds to dortmund's attacking structure so um i i can foresee a 3-1 or 4-1 win what about you Lars? yeah i mean there's, there's kind of a funny, if you like, stat, um, because Dortmund are once again playing in uh, special jerseys. It's another all-black uh, kit. Oh, man, um, we should have mentioned that right at the beginning, <laughs> because I did want to ask you how you how you like the special edition all-black shirt. I like it reasonably well, but I think the first all-black edition was much better because of the Evonik sponsorship, which just looks better than... The the eight and nines, uh, the the font is nice uh, on the back, but um, I'm also not sure I like the silver as much as uh, you know just a cleaner white. But I thought it was uh, gold initially, and then I saw it was silver, and I was kind of disappointed. I mean, it's it, I, I I guess it's supposed to be steel and not uh, silver, but yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to transport that in pictures. But uh, the set I was going to mention is that uh, the first two times they uh, played in special shirts was 2019 or 2018 in the first all-black kit against... Well, it must have been 19 because Brandt was playing. Um, against Fortuna Düsseldorf, uh, I think 5-0 or 5-1. Uh, and then in 2021, the Neon 90s kit, uh, a 3-0, I want to say, win uh, against Werder Bremen. Might have been a 3-1. Uh, anyway, uh, convincing home wins against teams that at the end of the season were relegated. So if I'm Hertha, uh, looking at the table, I think they're 16th after their win over uh, Gladbach. Uh, maybe I'm worrying a bit more after hearing that step, but uh, probably... <laughs> Probably two two isn't uh, enough uh, of a case study uh, for that stuff. Well, let's make it a case study then. I mean, uh, there's a saying in German which is uh, thrice. Uh, I, it's it's not <laughs> possible to, to translate. I, I'm not gonna even try. Um, <laughs> Was it gonna be thrice as nice? Or <laughs> no, it's uh, dreimal is uh, prima recht. Okay, I've thrice is uh, law in Bremen, okay. I guess, but that doesn't really make sense in, in English. Uh, I've literally anyway, never heard that, and it does not make sense at all <laughs> to me. No, I think it's it's to do with uh, what we call Gewohnheitsrecht. Uh, so if something, for example, is grandfathered into new law, I mean, it. it I, I quickly abandoned the idea of translating, and now you made me do it anyway. <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, Anywho. I'm going with a... Uh, why not? Let's say a 4-1 win for Dortmund. Okay. All right. I can I can end with that. Uh, so, uh, again, everyone out there, thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget to pers- participate in the giveaway. If you don't have a Twitter account, make one. I don't care. It's easily set up. Uh, and uh, other than that, uh, Lars, again, thank you for coming on, sharing your insight and... Uh, Everyone out there, I hope you have a great weekend and enjoy indeed a 4-1 win against Hertha Berlin. And we uh, shall talk on the other side of then said eighth win on the bounce and preview a game against Hoffenheim. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, that's it for this week. Uh, As always, again, thank you for listening and goodbye.